Welcome to another episode of the View Charlotte Real Estate and Entertainment Podcast. My name is Jeremy Orden, one of the partners with the Orden Writer Group at Allen Tate. Each week we will break down a real estate topic, share stories related to the topic, or have guests with experience in various facets of real estate, and then discuss something about our city that makes it unique. This could be restaurants, things to do, fun facts, or well, virtually anything about Charlotte because Charlotte is such an amazing city with limitless opportunities. The idea of continuing to educate our clients to the real estate market so they can make the best decision for their family is a commitment we stand behind, and hopefully each of these episodes will leave at least a little pearl of wisdom with our listeners. Let's get started. For this week's episode, I'm joined once again by one of my best friends and business partners, Brittany Osborne. Brittany is, of course, I mean, at this point, she's a returning champion. And in addition to being my business partner, she's also been co-hosting this entire First Time February series with me. Everyone who meets Brittany loves her warmth, her deep real estate experience, her attention to detail, her amazing negotiating skills, and her warm personality. She also brings a wealth of experience in working with first-time homebuyers. Brittany, welcome back to the podcast. I briefly thought about singing Guess Who's Back back again, but I've decided against it. <laughs> I should probably add, Brittany also brings an assortment of cheese with her comments. I'm excited for this week's topic in our first time homebuyer series because I know that this is a topic that you're an absolute rock star at discussing. So today we're going to be discussing how to identify the right property for a first time homebuyer. That's a pretty large topic and we can go down a lot of rabbit holes. It is, which is why you're my guest again this week. And I just plan to sit back, ask you some questions, and let the brilliance flow. It's a lot of pressure, but I'll see what I can do. The reason I wanted to have this conversation specifically with Brittany is I've seen every moment of Brittany's real estate career. I've never known an agent who's so deeply invested and committed on a personal level in setting her clients up for success. I think her approach to having conversations with first-time homebuyers on helping to identify the right property is just so perfect that there's nobody else that I could think of having this conversation with. I wish I didn't get so emotionally invested. I think sometimes it's my strength and my weakness, but there's been plenty of times when I've said to my clients, I'm not letting you buy this house. (laughs) So let's get started right there. Let's say you're working with a first-time homebuyer. What percentage of the time do your first-time homebuyers already know the difference between, you know, single-family, townhouse, multifamily, and condominiums? So I think it's funny because we've talked about this in some of the other um, podcasts. You know, a lot of our first-time homebuyers are coming out of a rental situation, right? They're, they're young professionals. They've been working. They've been living in apartments. So they're kind of already familiar with the condo lifestyle, Um, they may be familiar with single family just from how they grew up or where they lived previously. They may be renting a single family home, but I think it's important to kind of talk through the differences in responsibilities and maintenance for sure with condos, townhomes, and single family homes. And for our audience, can you briefly explain the difference between single family, townhouse, multifamily, and condominiums? 
well, I'm sure I'm not going to give this as much of an encyclopedia-esque definition as you would, but a single family home is, is a house. It's a traditional house and you own all the walls, you own the airspace above you, you own the yard. Um, you are maintaining the entire thing inside out, top to bottom. A townhome, you own the airspace above you and the walls inside, but you've got shared walls. I mean, you may be on an end unit, but you're, you're in between, you know, two different properties connected. And with a condominium, you own what's inside of those four walls. You may have somebody above you. I mean, you might be on the top floor, but you may have someone above you. That's going to be most similar to like a, a traditional apartment type living. What about the multifamily? Okay, multifamily could be duplexes and things of that nature. So let's talk about some of the benefits of each of these living styles, and especially as they apply to a first-time home buyer. So let's start with a single family. So single family is great because you get, generally you're going to get more space in a single family home. Our clients who have pets, it's really important for them to have a yard, potentially with a fence so that they can let their animals run free. Sometimes our first time home buyers, they still want to provide a rental opportunity for a friend. So with a single family um, residence, you have just a little bit more flexibility in the space. What would you say the advantages of multifamily like a duplex would be? Well, I think you're still getting the feel of single family, right? But you you have maybe a little bit less maintenance, maybe a smaller yard. You're not maintaining the entire exterior of the property, just your side of it. I think with a lot of my first-time home buyers, when they're looking at duplexes, they're specifically looking at it to buy and live in one part of the home and then use the other as an investment property. Exactly. So I really love the way that you've always differentiated between condominiums and townhomes by describing the difference between owning the airspace between the walls for a condo and owning the ground underneath a townhome. So what are the advantages of a townhouse? Well, I think, again, a townhouse gives you the feel maybe of a little bit more of single family and that you can just kind of walk up and in. You're not necessarily having to deal with going into a building, a parking garage, um, elevators, all of that. I think one of the things that a lot of my clients like about townhomes in particular is they're looking for a low maintenance lifestyle. So I know a lot of townhomes will include lawn maintenance, things like that. The HOA might cover like insurance for the roof and exterior maintenance. It just is presenting a little bit of that lower maintenance lifestyle than what you find with a single family home. Well, and when my mom, you know, I finally put this plan into place like 15 years ago and all the stars aligned and my mom moved here in the fall. And even though she's not a first time home buyer, she was a first time home buyer here in North Carolina. And, you know, I kept telling her as we're looking at property, she was open to kind of anything. But I sort of kept shifting her in the direction of a townhome because in her, you know, stage of life, she doesn't not want to be cutting grass and dealing with exterior maintenance. So it was the perfect thing for her to have that single family feel where she's got a front porch and a back, you know, back patio, but she's not stressing about yard maintenance and things like that. It was, it's a perfect fit for her and it's a perfect fit for a lot of our first time home buyers too. So logically now let's talk about a condominium. What are the benefits of buying a condominium? Well, I think it depends on where you want to live, too. Obviously, if you're focused on living uptown Charlotte, you're going to be running into a lot more condominiums. I think the biggest benefit to condominiums are going to be the amenities. You know, you've got parking, you've got, um, sometimes you've got pools, you've got gyms, you've got spaces that you can rent. So now let's go into the downsides. 
that we can think of with these different types of home ownership models. Again, what are the downsides that you can think of of a single family home? Well, the maintenance. I mean, that's the biggest one. That scares people away. I mean, people don't necessarily want to have to deal with um, the yard. You know, they may love having a yard, but they don't want to mow it. They don't want to have to deal with that. They don't want to deal with siding repair. They don't want to deal with roof issues, things of that nature. They just want to deal with what's on the inside. I think one of the biggest downsides that I've come across when it comes to the multifamily approach is really just ensuring that you have the right tenant in that second unit, Mm -hmm. you know, which is obviously going to be stressful. Are there any other things that you could think of that would be a downside to steer somebody away from a multifamily approach? Well, I think if you're specifically purchasing it for that rental income, you know, that's stressful. You may not, you can't always guarantee that you're going to have someone on that other side. For the sake of this, let's merge townhomes and condominiums into one category. What are the downsides that you can think of with this type of ownership? I think the biggest downside is going to be privacy. You know, you don't have as much privacy at all in your backyard, you know, especially in a condo. You walk out of your door and people are right there. Um, I will separate those two just briefly in terms of pets because I think that's such a big deal for so many people. And you have to think about it. Do you, every time the dog has to go to the bathroom, do you want to walk down uh, several flights of stairs or, you know, an elevator? So I think those are things to consider as well. How your paradigm has shifted now that you have a dog. (laughs) I know who would have thought that would be a primary focus of mine. I don't even know who I am anymore. Would you say that a lot of your first time home buyers already know what style of home that they're looking for? You know, not necessarily. I think that it's really about location. I think that they're very, very set on, well, oftentimes I think they're set on location. They want to be, they've been renting in, let's say South End. They really want to stay in South End. And then next comes, okay, well, what's our budget? And, you know, the budget kind of helps dictate, all right, well, can I get a, a single family home in that area or do I need to stick with a townhome or condo? I think with a lot of my clients, and I'm not putting this specifically on first time home buyers. A lot of them have an idea of what they're looking for when they start out, and then that might evolve throughout the search process, especially when we look at things like HOA fees or the privacy aspect that you mentioned or you know the neighbors that are around them. I think it's an evolving process, but I think normally people might have an idea, whether it might be an over-idealized idea of what they're looking for when they get started. I think you're absolutely right about that. And one thing that I want to touch on that's super important that, that comes up every single time with every buyer who's in between single family and townhome is going to be that HOA fee and how that impacts your monthly mortgage payment. Um, and I'm going to let you talk and get into the weeds with the numbers because you're really good at that. Um, but I think our clients need to understand if you're pre-approved for a certain amount, that may or may not include that monthly HOA fee. So if you're talking about Um, an additional $200 a month on your HOA fee, you really need to build that in. So I'm going to let you talk about the difference in buying single family with zero HOA fee versus being pre-approved for the same amount on an HOA, but then having an extra two to $300 per month. So I think how I've always approached this is looking at the monthly ownership cost. And I I think it's, it's a very simple approach. On that first showing with people, you know, when we're discussing properties and they're pointing out the things that they like, You know, let's say we're in a townhome and for the sake of an example, let's say the townhouse might have $150 a month HOA. Um, I'll let them know that, you know, this house is listed for X amount of dollars. The HOA is $150 a month. 
And if it was a single family home with no HOA, that $150 a month could mean close to $30,000 worth of purchasing power. So I always like them to know what the actual cost of ownership is going to look like. And there's nothing wrong with HOAs, especially if you're getting something for that for the amount that you're paying. However, sometimes what they're paying for is almost non-existent. And I think it's important that people understand that you're going to be paying this fee on a monthly basis, and it's never going to impact the principal that you own on the property. It's a bill that's continuing to come, and they need to decide for themselves whether or not it makes sense to have that investment. I hope that makes sense. So you've identified what type of home or what types of homes that a potential client is interested in. How does your approach work when it's time to start presenting properties to them? Well, I think it's important first to start with location and options in different neighborhoods. And so with my first-time buyers and even my first-time buyers in the state, I like to kind of schedule a little bit of an area tour and show them around into areas that they may or may not already be familiar with. And I might say, listen, we're going to go out and look at some properties that I've picked for you. Some are ones that you wanted to see. Some are ones that I think you should see. And the reality is it's an educational process for both of us, right? I'm educating you to what your dollar can buy you in these different neighborhoods, but you're also educating to me, educating me to the things that you want and don't want um, or are deal breakers ultimately. So I always like to use the analogy, and it sounds to me like you're pretty much doing the same thing through your practice, that the first time that you go out viewing with somebody, it's like a first date, a pretty yep. awkward first date, yep. but you're seeing what catches their interest, but also whether or not you're a good fit to work together. I think that's important, and this is what I tell people all the time, especially first-time home buyers. This is a very intimate and personal relationship, in my opinion, between you know, client and realtor. We find out a lot about you, right? We know about your finances. We know if you like to take a bath or shower. We know how you sleep, where you sleep. You know, we know all these really personal things. And ultimately, you have to be comfortable with with me. We have to be comfortable with each other and we have to enjoy this because it's the biggest financial commitment you're ever going to make. And it's stressful. So if you aren't doing this with somebody that you enjoy, then it's maybe not the best working relationship. And that's okay. But that's kind of all part of that awkward, blind first date. So how would you say that your approach to that first time going out and looking at properties sets your clients up for success? Well, I think it gives them a realistic expectation of A, what's on, on the market, and be the process. Because as we're walking through a house, I'm pointing different things out. I'm giving them ideas of things that they could do. We're noting things in the neighborhood. I'm pointing out things in the surrounding neighborhoods of, that they can do or things that they like to do. And so it just sort of gives them an idea of what life could be like living in that home or living in that environment. And that's sort of what we continue to do as we look through houses and move along in the process. Do you often find that your clients' tastes change when they see how their purchasing dollar can be applied to different living situations? 100%. I think, in fact, I was with a client yesterday who's not a first-time home buyer, and we've worked together before, but she literally said to me, okay, this is definitely one that's a little bit higher than I was wanting to spend, but man, can I see the difference in what I can get for it. So 
the more you look at, at houses, the more you're going to start to understand the reality of it. And I say this all the time. It's, it's online shopping, right? You can online shop all day long for clothes and all of this stuff. But until you actually try it on, you do not know what's the best fit for you. So you can scroll all day long on different you know search engines and websites to look at houses. But until you're actually out in the field, walking through these houses, putting real eyes on them, you know, you're not really going to see what's out there and therefore your expectations may not be a reality until you really start doing that. How important would you say is identifying the areas that someone wants to live in to helping them identify the right home? It's the most important thing in my opinion and it's the first thing that you want to do because that's the one thing you cannot change. And I have clients who are open to any area and that's great, but I also have clients who are very very specific to where they want to be. So in my opinion, that's that's the most important thing in your home search. Where do you want to live? You know, if where do you what do you do after work? First of all, where do you work? Are you remote? Do you have flexibility or do you want less of a commute? What kinds of things do you like to do? Do you want to be close to those things? Um, if you've got a family, do you need to be near a certain daycare? Things of those nat- of that of that nature. Those are the very important first steps and first questions I think you can add. And once you decide, listen, there are so many awesome pockets of Charlotte, but once you decide which pocket you want to be in, I think it gets a little bit easier from there. One of the things that I've always admired about you and that I love about your approach is that you don't always look at location as something that's carved in stone. I I know from the feedback from your clients that you're always educating them to different areas, neighborhoods, schools, you know, communities that they may not have been aware of that could be a really good ideal situation for them. You're not an order taker. You're really an advisor and a partner throughout this process. It's all about the life they're trying to live, right? They may have an idea of, where they want to live, but I think it's more about how do you want to live? Do you want walkability? Do you want land so that you can have chickens and garden and try to homestead? So if they have zeroed in on one location for one specific purpose, I try to give them some other options where they can do those same things. So at least they know they've covered all of their ground and ultimately made the best decision for them once they've been exposed to a couple different areas that they can still do those same types of things in. I think it comes back to you being a partner. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why you're so successful and so good at what you do is you do look at it like a commitment that you're making to people. And it's a long-term relationship. It's not something that ends at closing. It is a long-term relationship, or at least I hope it is. I'm always sad at closing. I mean, I'm happy for them, but it's like a little bittersweet. You've spent so much time with these people. You've talked all day, every day. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, we're all done. You know, I, I want people to know, and I say this all the time, our, our relationship doesn't stop here. You know, first of all, I probably want to be friends, but then also if you need anything, decorating advice or, you know, vendors or anything, you know, call me, you know, I'm, I'm available, certainly available once, once we sign those closing documents. So we've discussed the different types of properties and identifying areas that people want to be in. Let's talk about move-in readiness. What types of conversations do you have with your clients about whether they want something that's 100% move-in ready or whether they want something that needs some work? I think the first thing is to talk about what move-in ready means because what move-in ready means for one person is not what move-in ready means for another person. Move-in ready for one person might mean it's clean and I don't really have to paint. Move-in ready for somebody else might mean it's been completely renovated, you know, and it looks exactly like their Pinterest board. So I think it's important to differentiate between 
things that you have to do and things that you want to do. And once you differentiate between those things, you have to sort of start attaching monetary value to those things. And I do that by connecting them with my vendors. You know, if, if everything looks good, but it's it's dirty and it really needs a good paint job. OK, great. Well, then let's bring out my, you know, one of my painting vendors. Let's walk through it together. We'll get an estimate to just give you an idea of, OK, if we just paint it, it's going to feel fresh. And that might be all you need, you know, you need to do. I really love that approach. And I think it shows that you're engaged with helping them turn that property into their ideal property, whether or not it was in that condition when they purchased it. Well, and you can do it in phases. I mean, I'm a perfect example of this. When we bought our house, it was a bankruptcy. It hadn't been touched since like 96, but it was my dream house. And I saw exactly what it could be. And trust me, my husband reminded me many times, you need to promise me that when we move into this house, you're not going to think we can do all the things at once. And that's a hard pill to swallow, but you do sort of have to create a plan, like a part one, a part two, a part three. These are the things we're going to tackle as we go. And ultimately, you'll get it there at some point, but it, it's not always going to be done before you move in. I love that. Let's wrap up this conversation with a question that I really have been wanting to get your response on since we started this series. Why do you like working with first-time homebuyers so much? I love working with first-time homebuyers. I say this all the time. It is my favorite thing to do. I think that they're so excited. They're eager. It's such an incredible opportunity and it's a big deal. And I have a client who who used the term, you know, establishing generational wealth. And I just thought that was so powerful to be able to invest your money into something and build something is so incredible. And I, you know, I said before, I'm a former educator and I know that sounds cheesy, but when I when I made the change into real estate, a part of me was sort of sad. Like I can't believe I'm leaving this career in education, but the reality is I still do get to teach people and I love that part of the job. I want to be this warm, um, sort of, you know, relaxing figure in the corner of this process for these people that they can they can lean there you know I can be a shoulder to lean on if they need to be but also just guiding them through the process and for lack of a better term holding their hand if they want their hand to be held that's what I'm literally here to do and just make this as easy and fun as possible I think you summed it all up there perfectly so that really covers this this topic of identification of the right property for the week of course, I cannot thank my partner and co-host in this series, Brittany Osborne, enough for joining me again in our first time homebuyer February series. We'll continue the conversation next week. And in the meantime, stick around for our entertainment topic for the week. Thank you for having me. For this week's entertainment topic, I'm pleased to welcome back to the podcast my friend Adam Duke, co-founder of Title Belt Pro. We last spoke with Adam and his partner, Matt Martin, as they announced their premiere event, Arrival. Adam, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Jeremy. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. I mean, you're our returning champion, no <laughs> pun intended, when it comes to wrestling. Yeah, you know, we try. I, I would never claim myself to be a champion, but, you know, champion of the people, perhaps. Amazing. So the last time you were here, we talked about, you know, getting ready for your very first event, Arrival. So how was the first event? The first event was incredible. Um, I mean, we sold the show out, um, you know, before we even opened the doors. 
uh, a thing that I have learned from other people in the business is a large portion of wrestling show sales are kind of like walk up, like day of. And to have sold out our venue before we even got to that point was pretty incredible. Um, the crowd reactions were amazing. It was exactly what we wanted. We had a mix of hardcore fans and like people who had never seen wrestling before. Uh, the matches were amazing, really got the crowd into it. Um, it. We saw exactly what we wanted to see from the crowd, and it was um amazing experience. One of the things that you and I discussed last time we discussed Title Belt Pro was whether it was going to be a family fun event. <laughs> and, you know, I texted you afterwards. Like, my daughter Anastasia has now become a wrestling fan because of you. We... We even created like a gif of her reacting to the body slams taking place. Yeah, and that's exactly what I knew would happen and what I wanted to happen. Um, and that's why we really are trying to push this to a non-wrestling crowd. Because I think the biggest barrier for that is people's assumptions about professional wrestling. Um, they see it on TV and they see it in other places and they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's fake and that's dumb and that's like silly. Like, why would you see that? But going to like a small, intimate local indie show is so completely different. And, you know, a lot of people's reactions were the same as, you know, you and your daughter. They came and they're like, this is professional wrestling. This is amazing. Um, and it's exactly what we wanted and it's, it's exactly what happened. I mean, we literally left that show and the entire time that we drove back. She was just recapping everything she saw <laughs> from, like, the doors to the garbage cans to, you know, naming every single person that she saw at the event and how close she was to the action. Yeah, and that's something that you do not get um, watching it on TV or even going to, you know, a large wrestling show. Um, it is much more intimate and personal, and it's, like... Much easier for the crowd to connect with the talent, and it's 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 an electric, amazing experience that's really unrivaled. I thought it would be interesting to continue to see how Title Belt Pro evolves. So, what can you say that you learned from your first event? <laughs> uh, so much, like it's it's kind of overwhelming. Um, so many details that you know, I, I won't go into every last thing, but. Um, you know what we learned a lot about what works what doesn't work like changes we absolutely need to make things that we thought were gonna flop that were great and vice versa um you know uh, a heavy component of title belt pro is we are trying to be very um, community-based and charity-based so um some different things that we can tweak to make sure that we have more money to um, you know, give back to the community and, and, and charitable causes that we have in mind. There's a lot of things that are going to be tweaked for the next show. So I've been to a lot of concerts, live performances, and theater. I, I have to say, I thought that the vibe, the service, I mean, even the food and atmosphere that you created was really top-notch. It was really a lot more than I was expecting from like a quote-unquote wrestling event. Yeah, and that's exactly what we wanted, um, and that's a, a big focus of you know myself and my partner Matt. Um, you know, we are partnering with wrestling industry professionals, um, Ethan Case and Dave Foster, that have been doing this forever. Um, you know, Ethan's been in the wrestling business for almost twenty years, 
and they know how to run a show and they know how to handle talent. They know how to put together matches. Um, they know how to run the wrestling side of things. Uh, Matt and I have a heavy hospitality background and like that has been our focus is like, how can we improve the, the user experience? How can we improve, um, you know, when you pay money and you come in, like besides just seeing like a fun show, how are you getting value out of that otherwise? Um, you know, Matt and I come from a hospitality background and like, you know, the way that we really are looking at it is like, you know, Ethan and Dave are taking care of the back of the house, usually at the kitchen. Uh, and Matt and I are taking care of front of the house and just making sure everyone's having a good time. Well, you definitely exceeded on that expectation. Everyone that we had with us in our group just was smiles the entire time. Hmm. So let's do a quick recap of that first event. You started it off with a really fun multi-person event that featured some crazy physical mismatches. <laughs> My wife being from Florida, we were obviously really thrilled and immediately took the side of rooting for the mysterious Florida man. Yeah, he's an enigma. He's a great character. Um, yeah, I mean, that match is great. Um, we, I was really happy to have that open the show be our first ever match um, that really highlighted a lot of young local talent. Um, you know, one of the, one of the people in that match, it was their premiere. It was their professional wrestling premiere. They had been training for years and had graduated recently. And that was their first professional show. And it was a really big event. And I think everyone in the match like absolutely killed it. Like they're, they're amazing kids. Like, and I think, you know, a, a, a tenant of Title Belt Pro is we really want to put over young talent. You know, we don't, we want to give them opportunities. We want to pair them up with veterans and, like, give them a chance to learn and to shine. Um, and I don't think anyone in the crowd would have known that those were kind of all the amateurs on the show. You know, those were all the people without any experience um, because they honestly that is the match that everybody that that we got the most feedback from like that people absolutely loved like oh my gosh that first match was amazing now there was also a really thrilling match with lots of tables doors <laughs> laptop monitors garbage cans i mean this was my daughter's favorite thing that she's ever seen <laughs> she was yelling like hit him with the door and just like clapping like I've, it was a sense of joy yeah. that I haven't seen her have at any of the concerts that I drag her to. Yeah, well, I mean, if at the concerts they were throwing each other through tables, then you know, <laughs> maybe maybe you would. But <laughs> but no, that's that's the that's what makes you know pro wrestling so great. Uh, I mean, it, it's really difficult to convey you know just talking like over you know over a podcast or just even in person. It's really something you have to experience to really understand. Um, you know, talking to someone who's never been to a wrestling show and be like, oh yeah, oh, it was amazing. Like they threw him through a table or threw him through a door. They hit him with a, you know, a sheet pan. Like that doesn't really translate, but being there and seeing it and like having that connection and like the wrestlers responding to the crowd, it, it just, it makes so much more sense. And it's just, it's an impossible thing to explain. Um, but yeah, uh, that was Mad Dog Mayhem and, uh, you know, I'll I'll kind of uncover a little bit of a secret, but uh, Mad Dog Josh Powers is probably the nicest person you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, but you know, he gets in the ring and he turns on the Mad Dog, 
and you, and you get what you pay for. It was worth the price of admission just <laughs> to watch the garbage cans get smashed. <laughs> so, unfortunately, we had to leave um, before the main event due to the, like just the late hour with my kids. What happened with your feature main event? Yeah, the main event started off absolutely as it should have. It was, you know, four of the biggest names in local wrestling. Um, you know, two people who are, you know, national level talents um, and are signed on, you know, national level contracts. Uh, and then the other tag team um, of just absolute local legends, um, including Ethan Case, um, you know, the, our, our partner in this venture. Um, and, the sh- and it was going extremely well. Uh, unfortunately, at some point during the match, um, Ethan uh, kind of got knocked a little senseless and uh, took a, a, a move the wrong way. Um, it was a little bit scary in the moment, but um, you know, ultimately, Ethan is fine. He's he's recovering. It's not going to be a long-lasting injury. It's a uh, uh, he basically bruised his spine, and it's, he's just waiting for that bruise to kind of heal up. Um, but it just takes a little bit of time and, and recovery. Uh, it, like I said, it looked a lot worse than it is. Um, you know, these people are professionals and accidents do happen. Um, it is not unheard of. Um, it was unfortunate for it to happen, um, at our first show and, you know, at all, but, uh, you know, everyone involved handled things, you know, professionally and well, and he was, you know, taken care of immediately. And, you know, like I said, uh, you know, fortunately it's not going to be, um, you know, a major or long lasting injury. So much for that claim that wrestling is a hundred percent fake, then, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it uh, it definitely hurts. <laughs> so you also had a fundraiser that involved some physical and let's call it topless involvement of you personally. Yeah, um, there's definitely topless photos of me online now, which was kind of a interesting, unexpected uh, result of the show. Um, but yeah, you know, anything for charity, right? Why don't you describe what it was and what took place? Absolutely. So one of the things that we did at the first show is we did sell um, like raffle tickets that went towards, you know, charity. And um, I promised that if we hit a certain amount of sales, I would get in the ring and be chopped by James Drake, who is um, one of those national level talents who is known for hard hitting chops, which is basically for non-wrestling fans, like a, a really firm, hard slap across the chest. So, as someone who's a massive wrestling fan, what was it like being in the ring and being subjected to, let's say, a physical barrage of chop? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be real with you. I That idea did not come to me for charity reasons. I just wanted to be able to say I got chopped by James Drake. Like... <laughs> Um, and it was a, a little bit of a dream come true. I mean, it was it was great. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, I do not feel the urge to hurry back and do it again. Um, you know, it was definitely real. Uh, it definitely hurt, but it was uh, a good hurt. You know, after a you know the kind of hurt after a nice long workout sort of thing. So, can we expect you to potentially continue to put your body at risk for? <laughs> The entertainment of the audience as well as, you know, fundraising for causes. I'll say this. I would absolutely do something similar again if it makes sense. I don't want to force it. I don't want every show to be like, oh, hey, like what crazy physical antics can Adam get into for, you know, sake of charity. But if something comes up and it makes sense naturally, like I would absolutely do it again. 
in our last conversation, you talked about how the organization is going to continue to be supporting other local organizations through your shows. How was that received after the first event? I think it was received very well. Um, you know, I will say that for the first show, um, we basically broke even for the first show. And um, I we are still making a contribution um, to the charity that we had chosen for the first show, which is the Charlotte Rescue Mission. We're still going to be giving them um, a certain amount of money. But we made it very clear to them that, you know, hey, this is our first show. We're kind of trying to figure things out. And, like, you know, we will absolutely be bringing you back as... Um, one of our our sponsored charities in the future uh, but breaking even for our first show is is kind of an incredible achievement um i know there's other wrestling promotions that they are years old and they still don't you know break even um and that tells me that there is definitely a drive from the community community behind us and it's encouraging because you know for the first few shows we're like Matt and I are really trying to figure out how to run a wrestling show. We've never done this before. And as much help as we have, like, you know, still at the end of the day, we've never done this before. Um, and as we figure out all those kinks and smooth things out and the wrestling show becomes more smoother, um, Matt and I are going to be able to focus on that community aspect a lot more um, because that is very important to us. Um, you know, we want this to be a, a Charlotte thing and we want community support and we want to bring the community into the wrestling community. So as we get all the tiny details of running a show down, um, you know, we're going to be more comfortable that that stuff is being taken care of. And we're really, you're going to see us like uh, this summer, we're going to be doing a lot of pushes um, publicly to making headway into the local Charlotte community and, and doing a lot more with that. So what organization are you partnering with for your next event? Sure, actually, um, it we are it's only our second show, but we are kind of doing a very firm uh, switch. We had actually all the details for our second show um, planned and ready to go, and we were going to announce it at the end of the first show, but unfortunately there was kind of a... a, a, a downer of an ending to the first show and uh you know the crowd was kind of ushered out as we took care of the situation at hand with ethan case um and as a result of that we have actually completely changed the theme and the uh charity for the next show um for the second show we are actually going to be giving proceeds to ethan case um you know he so ethan like i said has been an industry professional for 20 years he runs uh, the Palmetto Wrestling Academy in Columbia, South Carolina. And, um, you know, as a result of his injury, you know, like I said, um, you know, he is going to be recovering like just fine. Like he's not going to have long lasting injuries from this or anything. Um, but he has not been able to run the school and he has had a, a loss of income. And um, we're trying to do just a little bit for him. So this next show is actually going to be for Ethan. Um, you know, that being said, uh, we actually have started a list of, you know, charities and nonprofits going forward. We've had people reach out to us and ask that, you know, you know, we can sponsor them for shows. And there's a lot of charities that are near and dear to Matt and my hearts that um, we already have lined up and ready to go for future shows coming up. We laughed last time because I kept asking you to predict the future with events hmm. and it was really uncertain at the time. 
I think your exact comment was, well, we don't know what we don't know. Now that an event has taken place, what's going on with the future of Title Belt Pro? A lot. Um, you know, as I said before, there's lots of things that we learned, lots of things that we didn't expect. Um, I can tell you right now, um, we are very close with the folks at Free Range Brewing, and we absolutely love them. And that space, we've already outgrown it. Um, and we, you know, I don't want to, you know, release details sooner than we actually know them. But I will say that uh, we do not plan on abandoning that space. We definitely plan on creatively using the free range of space going forward. And we definitely have some big plans for um, doing events, not just at free range, but in uh, other larger venues around town. Let's talk about the type of feedback that you received on the last event. Obviously, I've shared my feedback with you. I thought it was an amazing <laughs> night of entertainment. What else did you hear? I mean, honestly, your feedback really echoes. It's it's a perfect example of, of what we heard from everyone else as well. Um, all of the wrestling fans, uh, you know, the traditional wrestling fans that came um, really loved uh, the booking and the vibe and the energy and the talent that we had. All of the non-wrestling fans were like, I can't believe this is what professional wrestling is. And they're like excited. They want to come back. Um, people who weren't able to make it to the show, you know, heard about the show and are, are really trying to make out to the next one. Um, honestly, as far as the crowd reaction, I do not think it could have gone any better. What sort of changes can we expect to take place for this upcoming event that are different than last time? Sure. So there's a couple of different things. Um, you know, we are using a different ticketing platform, um, which is going to uh, charge less fees to the end user and allow us to get more of uh, that ticket price to put on better wrestling and also, you know, give back to the community. Um, we're going to be adding on VIP packages um, that uh, user that anyone who buys a ticket can add on to their existing ticket. Um, it's going to give you VIP access um, early to the show and um, interactions with talent. You're going to get um, some merch, posters, lanyards, ID tags. Uh, you're going to get ice cream. You're going to get a discount on uh, T-shirts, which we're also going to have. Um, we are going to be, you know, I won't go exact into the details of it, but we're going to be formatting the show slightly differently um, just to uh, for the comfort of the, um, the crowd. Um, there's going to be a lot of things, large and small, things that we're still figuring out, but um, we are definitely changing as we learn. So I have to admit, like, you've made me a wrestling fan. Hmm. My daughter and I came home and we watched a WrestleMania until like one o'clock in the morning <laughs> just to continue the fun. What do you think is so appealing about wrestling? Honestly, I mean, it's really hard to put it into words. It's It's a feeling that you can't exactly explain. I mean, for me, it's just a sense of going and, and being in an environment that is just completely different than anything you would experience in your day-to-day -day life and just escaping, um, you know, anything that's going on in your personal life that, you know, any stresses that you have, any, you know, deadlines that you have to meet, like things that, you know, it's an escape from reality. And, I think wrestling is such a unique environment 
you know, a lot of people will go to a concert to escape or go to a restaurant to escape or a movie. And at this point, those places, I mean, they're, they're still escapes, but they're, they're kind of familiar environments. A wrestling show is a thing that a lot of people aren't used to. And it just, it's almost that shock of just knocking you out of what you're used to and something different. And it, it just, it's such a fun environment. I think what impressed me the most is that there's something really fun and interesting about like that small local show, especially mm-hmm. with the athletes involved. What's the appeal of amateur or local athletes versus these big national like megastars? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, like I said before, a lot of people see those big national shows or they see it on TV and it's just, it's completely different than a local indie show. Um, having a crowd of 20,000 people versus a crowd of 100 people, it's vastly different. Anyone who goes to concerts, you know, knows the difference between a small local show and a, you know, big arena show. Um, at those small shows, um, and you know, possibly even more so than like at a concert, like you're interacting with that talent. That talent is playing off of the crowd. Um, wrestling is has a very strong base in kind of like carny like culture. So there's a lot of like interacting with the crowd, seeing how the crowd reacts, playing them off of themselves, um, and the interaction you're going to have with the actual show at these tiny shows is unparalleled compared to like the big national shows where it's almost non-existent. So hype up the next show. What can people expect to see? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the next show is March 4th, um, Saturday, March 4th, uh, again at free range brewing. It's called don't quit. Um, and it's we're just building on, on the foundation that we laid at, at the first show. We're going to start forming some storylines. Um, that's a really difficult thing to do in a single show. So you'll see us with this show playing off of events that happened at the first show um, and really trying to, you know, build into, uh, uh, build kind of like some momentum uh, with our storylines going forward. Um, we're going to start building some rivalries. We're going to start, um, you know, seeing maybe like some some turns and some unforeseen surprises. Uh, the first show really was, you know, getting people in, getting them used to like a cast of characters. And we're going to we're still trying to build that cast a little bit, but we're going to be bringing back some some familiar faces and really uh, developing their personalities and how they interact with the crowd. And where will it be taking place this time? Same spot, Free Range Brewing in Noda, um, March 4th. Um, come on out. So I was really impressed at how perfect the venue worked out. I know that you were talking about, you know, actually outgrowing that space already, mm-hmm. but it had the feel of a full-blown production. Mm-hmm. The sound was great, and yet it still had that intimate vibe. Like, I love how you made the correlation between, like, a live concert and my favorite shows I've ever been to have always been those small venue shows just because it feels so much more intimate. The venue worked out great. Parking was super easy. Mm -hmm. Do you still plan on continuing this free range support even as you continue to grow? We absolutely do. Um, You know, like I said before, we absolutely love free range and the folks there. Um, A reason that we really wanted to partner with them for this is they are already so community focused and they do so much for Charlotte 
and you know charities and nonprofits and anyone that needs their resources. Um, so it's kind of like a no-brainer to work with them, and we want to foster that relationship as long as we can, rather than you know seeing that we sold the first show out before we even opened the doors and kind of like throwing our hands up and being well that's that we need to move into a bigger space. We're really trying to figure out how we can move forward um, in a way that will benefit everybody involved, including free range. Um, so like I said, we do have some ideas. Um, I'm very excited about them. I'm not ready to exactly reveal those yet. They're a little pre-baked, but I can tell you in the next few months, we'll definitely be um, announcing some things and furthering our partnership with Free Range while also giving ourselves kind of room to grow. So on our last podcast, we offered to give away five pairs of tickets to anybody who reached out with a certain criteria. I had multiple people reach out to me. However, they all declined to receive complimentary tickets because they said that they actually wanted to support you directly and have their financial contribution go directly to the causes that you were supporting. Yeah, and that's amazing. Like, thank you so much, Jeremy. Um, That's very kind of you. And it really is a testament to your viewers. And, you know, rather than just taking a free ticket, really wanting to support. And I, I really appreciate that. I do want to try this again, though. So <laughs> if you email me at jeremy.orden at allentate.com with the subject line title belt pro, we will give away five additional pairs of tickets to the upcoming title belt pro event. Don't worry. The money is still going to go to the causes they support. It's just coming out of my pocket. And we want you to be able to go in and enjoy this really fun experience. Awesome. And that's very generous. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for, you know, all your support of, you know, Title Belt Pro and everything that Matt and I do. Thank you for making me a wrestling fan. I mean, (laughs) who would have ever thought that, you know, this is something I would get into. I want to come back to something that you said last time when I asked you if wrestling was fake. You described it as scripted, but what you're seeing is still real. I really like that description. And I think when I was at the event and I had that in mind, it it really changed my perception of it. Can you elaborate more on the scripted aspect and how it translates to entertainment for people who aren't familiar with wrestling? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is kind of the stereotypical like number one, you know, talking point between, you know, wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans is, you know, people who have never been to wrestling or aren't familiar with wrestling, they just it's it's hard for them to get their mind around, well, it, like it's fake. Like why is that entertaining? Um, and it's like, well, you know, a, a movie is fake. The TV show is fake. Uh, like that, you know, you go and see Jurassic Park, there aren't real dinosaurs running around. Like, um, but that's kind of what makes it fun. Just the fact that it is ridiculous and it is like just absurd and, and scripted. And, you know, it it makes for like entertainment and that almost adds to it because it's just... It, a lot there's a lot of different types of wrestling um and to be able to see go to a show and just get this experience that you know it is scripted um it's not you know quote unquote real um but they're still putting their bodies on the line you know as evidenced by our first show um and as evidenced by the marks on my chest that lasted for a week and a half after the show um 
you know, these guys are putting their bodies on the line and it is for the entertainment of the crowd. Um, I will say, like, I know that they get almost as much out of it um, as the as the crowd does. Like, they really are driven by that audience response and, and taking care of the audience and giving them a good time. Um, it's a huge rush. And, you know, just because they're not going in the ring and fighting for real doesn't mean it's not entertaining. I know me personally, like, I, I'd rather it was scripted. I'd like my fighting to be fake, personally. Um, like I'm not into really like UFC or anything like that. It's just a different form of entertainment. And, um, you know, just because it's scripted doesn't mean, you know, take anything away from it really. So finally, I want to ask you your opinion on wrestling in general. Why, in your opinion, is this form of entertainment more popular Mm -hmm. today than maybe ever before? What's so appealing about watching this? Let's just call it a physical soap opera unfold before our eyes. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, it's been a thing that has been around for a long time. I mean, it's been around for 70, 80 years. It is seeing a big resurgence right now. Um, and I think there's multiple reasons. I think that, you know, COVID had a little bit to do with it. Um, you know, people are at home trying to find some sort of entertainment. And they, you know, right just before the time of COVID, there was a, a national company that did have a lot of momentum and steam um aew which is kind of a a major competitor for wwe right now wwe is still number one and will be for a long time um but this sort of rivalry has kind of reinvigorated um a lot of the wrestling crowd and really put a focus on indie wrestling which has been you know as the name implies pretty indie lately but it's almost become very hip to go to like local indie shows versus large national shows. And I think crowds in general, like the public in general is really being turned on to that. Um, and they're seeing the difference between like a large national show versus an indie show. And they're getting a lot more attention now. Adam, again, you're such an amazing guest. And I just, <laughs> I mean, I value our friendship as well as like just your commitment to the Charlotte entertainment scene. I think what you're doing is just such a valuable resource. I strongly urge our audience to check out the Title Belt Pro event. For someone who is not a wrestling aficionado or knows anything about this sport whatsoever, I can say honestly it was a really great, amazing night of entertainment. And all of my guests had such a great time. It was all that we could talk about for a couple of days. Any final thoughts or comments? Uh, thank you for having me back. Like I, I love talking about this. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, I like giving people a peek behind the scenes. Um, it's really interesting. We're just trying to have fun. Like at the end of the day, we're just trying to have uh, fun and you know do something for Charlotte and give back. Um, we love the city so much. We love the community so much. And you know, all I can say is I'm I'm, I'm making. 12-year-old Adam, really proud. (laughs) Where can our audience go to learn more about this upcoming event or Title Belt Pro in general? Absolutely. So if you follow us on social media, um, Instagram or Facebook, just Title Belt Pro. If you go to uh, titlebeltpro.com, that'll link to uh, all the details on our next event and all events going forward. Um, Either of those resources will give you a a really good idea. Um, On our social media, we're posting a lot of pictures and soon videos from our first show. So we'll have a lot of great content there. 
um, that's the best spot to go to. Well, thank you very much to Adam Duke as well as Title Belt Pro. We'll be back next week with another episode of the View Charlotte podcast. Mm-hmm.